Welcome to the First Century Church Podcast. My name is Stephen Wilhoy, and I'm the lead pastor at First Century Church, and it is an honor to have you with us today. The goal of the podcast is simple. We want you to be encouraged, challenged, and inspired to go further in your faith than ever before. If you'd like more information about the church, you can visit our website, firstcenturykc.com. And if you happen to be in the Kansas City area anytime soon, we'd love to have you join us for one of our live gatherings to connect with you in person. Again, thanks for joining us today, and we hope that you enjoy today's message. It is Spring Forward Day, and again, I'm glad that you made it and that you're here, and we'll see who shows up in about, you know, half an hour from now. (laughs) We'll find out. Uh, No, but it's, it's Spring Forward Weekend, and actually next Saturday is the official first day of spring. So spring is, you know, it's right here. You know, who's ready for spring? Yes. One month ago today, it was negative 10 degrees, and so we've come a long way. But, you know, spring is, it's, it's, you can tell, the grass is starting to turn a little bit, you know, it's warmer, and it's, it's just amazing. And so in the spirit of spring coming, we're going to jump into a three-week series leading up to Easter called In the Beginning, because spring is about life and new life and rebirth and all those types of things, and so we're going to talk about how this whole thing started. Well, I shouldn't say that. We are going to be looking at the creation story in Genesis 1 and 2 for this series, but we're not going to be talking about the creation itself. It'll make sense as we get going. So we're not going to talk about debates about evolution and creationism. That's not what this is about. We're not trying to prove God's existence. In fact, we're going to assume his existence for this series, okay? So even if you don't believe God exists, you need to assume that he does for this to really have any bearing on your life. But uh, what we are going to do is look at really three, and there are more, but I'm going to pick three lessons or three important factors that God shows us in the beginning. And again, they have nothing to do necessarily with how things work, although today sort of does. But it's lessons really, first of all, today we're going to talk about God and how he describes himself. Next week, we'll talk about how the creation story tells us to live out our relationships. And in the third week, we will look at how uh, there's a purpose to everything. And we see that at the very beginning. So today, we're going to look at what I'm calling the autobiography of God. The autobiography of God. Now, I love history. I love reading about history. Uh, I like reading biographies. But there's also autobiographies, right? And they're different in that the author is writing about themselves. They're telling their story from their point of view, from their perspective about them. And so what we see, Genesis 1 and 2, is God really talking indirectly, if you will, about himself. He's showing us very important characteristics that we're going to look at today that help us to understand him a bit better. And they may not seem obvious, but hopefully as we talk about them today, we will see, oh yeah, it does mention that. Oh, I I see that. And it's, again, uh, it's things that we probably know, but we're going to point that out to kind of get this thing started today. Four characteristics about God today is what we're going to look at that he showed us from the very beginning, okay? So the first one that we're going to look at is that creation, the creation story in Genesis 1 and 2 shows God's power. This might seem like an obvious one, but it's a good one to start with because it springs board everything else about him. We have to start with this understanding, with this premise, with this belief, the foundation of our faith is built upon God's power. 
So it's at the beginning. Let's look at the beginning. Genesis 1, verse 1. In the beginning. That'd make a good series title, wouldn't it? In the beginning. That's what I did. I'm so creative. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. You know, I tried when I came in the room this morning to just turn the lights on. Now, you can. You can now we have technology to where you can hook up your lights and do it voice activated. Now, God didn't have Alexa help him with creation, okay? He had help, and we'll talk about that as we get going, but I, we don't have that hooked up in here. So I tried to walk into the room and just tell the lights to turn on. Guess what happened? Nothing happened. And I waited for a second, and I thought, okay, okay, I'm going to try it. So I tried it again. No matter how, I would still be here two hours later, still talking to myself, lights, turn on, you know, it's, and it didn't work. But God has that sort of power that he speaks, even as we sang this morning, and things just come out of nowhere. He needs no material with which to work to form everything that has ever been made. That's power. Even the first four words of the Bible, in the beginning God, that's a huge statement that shows God's eternality. It shows his transcendence. It shows that he's unlike anyone or anything else in the universe because he has no creator himself. This is this, you know, this self-existence of God. There's a, a fancy word I'm going to just drop on you. It's called aseity, A-S-E-I-T-Y. The aseity of God means he is self-existent. He doesn't have a creator. He doesn't need a creator. He doesn't have an energy source to hook up to. He doesn't have a battery that wears out. He is always eternally self-existent. That's power. And it's not even that God, you know, is powerful. It's that he is power. It's not even that God possesses power, which he does, but it's that he is the source of all power. That's who he is. So the interesting thing here is creation, as we look here, is not something that just happened, but creation is something that God did. It's an action. It's an activity. It's a series of events that stem from him and his power. God created and spoke things into existence. The Old Testament prophet Jeremiah says this truth as well. Jeremiah 32, 17, in a prayer to God, he says, O sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and the earth by your strong hand and powerful arm. Nothing is too hard for you. It's this idea that if God is all-powerful, that term all-powerful is omnipotent. God is omnipotent. He has all power. And so the very basic term or idea behind omnipotence is that God can do anything he wills. So did you know God has a will? We talk a lot about seeking God's will, so we know he has a will. But it's not because I have a will, right? And it's, again, it's the light thing all over again. I have a will, and in certain cases I can exercise my will, but I can't do anything I want to do at all times, if I could, that would be a dangerous thing, right? If you could, it would be a dangerous thing. But God can. He possesses all power. He is self-existent. He is eternal. He is omnipotent. He can do anything he wills to do. And we see this idea all the way at the end in Revelation. Revelation 4.11, around God's throne, the angels and creatures and all the, all the people are singing this song. Revelation 4.11, You are worthy, O Lord, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, 
For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. There is, and this is, again, the, a basic premise, but it's the foundation for everything else about God. He first must establish his power, that it's unlimited. And it makes sense that God would start here, I think, for that reason. So what this means, before we move on to the second one, what this means for us in our everyday life, in your everyday life, especially if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're not, if you're watching or here today and you're not really sure you're wrestling or you're just like, I'm out, right? God has all power. And it's going to something by faith that you're just going to have to either accept or reject. But as we accept that, what that means for us who have gone into this relationship with God through his son Jesus, we understand that should give us confidence, especially in prayer, especially in times of trouble, especially in situations in which we have little to no control, that's okay because we are connected to the ultimate power source. I have limited capability, but I'm connected to the one that has no limits to his capability. I have limited know-how, wisdom, knowledge, understanding, but I'm connected to the one that has no lack in any way. And so in our prayer, we should remember that. And I've, not even just this week, but really the last several months, I've been convicted in this area personally because I tend to want to hedge my bets even in prayer sometimes. Like I'll, I'll make it a very generic sort of thing so God doesn't disappoint, you know, or so I don't have to defend him later. Well, you said God was going to do this and he didn't. So here's the thing. We want to pray these big prayers because God's a big God, okay? So don't be afraid because here's the thing. When you pray, the result is not up to you. When I pray, the result is not up to me. So now, obviously, we do want to pray within the will of God. So if you want to pray, you know, uh, God, I hope my neighbor dies so I can buy their house because it's nicer and newer and bigger and better, okay? I'm not saying anyone would do that. I'm just using that as an extreme example here. There are prayers that you will pray that God will not and cannot answer, okay? Uh, You know, so very few things, but you understand what I'm saying. But we do want to pray with faith. If God can make everything from nothing, then he can heal cancer, right? If God can make everything out of nothing, he can change your situation in a moment, right? He can, and he he has the will and the ability to do anything he wills, and so we pray for God's will in these things, yes, but we just pray with faith and know that it's in his hands after that, okay? I can't control that after that escape my lips or my heart or my my whatever, Uh, God's in control, and I'm going to trust him that he had all power in the beginning, and he still has it today. The second characteristic of God that we see from Genesis 1 and 2 is God's wisdom. God's wisdom. Now, you might wonder, well, how do we see that? So let me give you several examples here for a minute. Things like order in the universe, progress, development in the universe, even in human life, shows God's wisdom. You know, God, God decided, hey, if we're going to continue the human race, they might need to come out small and not fully grown, right? He understood that's, that's wise of God to make that decision. They should progress in this way. So he understood it's God's wisdom. Even, you know, I know we're, we're not really happy with God now about, the, okay, never mind, sorry. God didn't do daylight savings time. I think that was Ben Franklin. So sorry, Ben, we don't like you right now. But anyway, uh, 
with time, God knew, God, so think about this, God's power, he is outside of time and space. Time is not a thing to him. It is a creation of his in his wisdom, knowing that we would need time. We would need to operate on a calendar with a clock, with seconds and minutes and hours and on and on and on. He, that's in his wisdom. He knows as he's creating things, it needs to work in a certain way for the rest of the creation that I'm going to make to function properly. He knows that we need to operate through seasons and how the earth and the universe do that. Even on a microscopic level, there is order. Like when you get down to the teeniest, teeniest, teeniest bit of the smallest, smallest, smallest cell, you see order there. And again, that can be an argument for God's existence, and I think it's a pretty good one, but that's not what we're covering, but you can use that, right? If you've got somebody who's not sure, just how do you explain the order of even microscopic things to me and tell me that just happened, right? It didn't just happen. It's something that God did, but that shows God's wisdom. It's not just, you know, helter-skelter, random happenstance, whatever. There's no accidents. There's no coincidences, and even modern science as much as we want to rail against that as the church, they're actually doing some heavy lifting for us people of faith because the more they discover, the more we see God's wisdom in the universe. The more that they see, find things that they, we didn't know were there, we discover, wow, God's pretty creative. God's pretty wise to make things work. You mean that the cell works on the same level and as the huge organism? Basically, yeah, God's wisdom did that. Even the idea of the Big Bang Theory, initially, 100 or so years ago, scientists were not crazy about this brand new theory. Why? Because it kind of proved Genesis 1 to be pretty accurate. Everything started from one little point where there was really nothing there, and to fit their theory, they have to, you know, everything came from nothing. Well, the Bible told us that a long time ago. <laughs> we, don't, we don't really need this new theory to explain what God told us happened a long time ago. So now it's accepted, and it's turned into different things that it wasn't always meant to be, but even that, even laws of physics, Newton's laws, like all of these things point to the wisdom of God. He knew things need to work in a certain way at a certain time for a certain length of time for really uh, humanity to survive, for creation to thrive. Things like purpose to life, goals, even in the universe, right? Is, is there a purpose? I believe that there is, and we'll talk about a little bit more of that in the final week, so I'm going to skip over that, but that'll get you here in two weeks. We will talk about how purpose in life, purpose in everything in life, everything in creation, there is a purpose, there's a meaning, there's a goal. That's the wisdom of God. Things in creation like division or distinction between certain species or animals or even, dare I say, genders. <laughs> I know that's a sensitive topic in our culture right now. There are distinctions in genders. There are two of them. Two divisions, and that is all that there is. I know that I'm going to get canceled for that, but go ahead and cancel me. I don't care. God did that. It's his wisdom, okay? Yeah. It's kind of sad you have to get applause for saying a statement like there are men and women, but that's where, that's where we are. It's, it's infuriating, but that's where we are, and it's God's wisdom to do that. Think, think um, oh gosh, okay, here we go. <laughs> Just imagine... If the world really did work the way that some in our culture claim it worked, if there were 68 genders, wouldn't that be a bit confusing? 
if there were 60, not 68 species of animals. We have lots of those, and it's hard enough to figure out what's what, right? I'm talking about there are humans, all of us in here, and we're, all of us are different gender. How are we going to know? What's, I mean, it's just if the world worked the way the world thought the world worked, <laughs> we'd be in trouble. Luckily, the world actually works the way that God made the world to work in his wisdom, and it's pretty simple. There's distinction, there's division, there's regulation, there are laws of nature that are there. Whether Like, I can say, there's no gravity. If I jump off the building, I'm going to get really hurt, right? I can say that this doesn't work that way. Well, I, don't, I don't see oxygen, so it must not be there. It's there, Right? I can say anything, but there are laws of nature that God put in place in his wisdom. It's amazing that that those simple things now are, uh, and I kind of got ahead of myself because I was going to go on a rant. I actually had a little rant planned, but I already got there, so it's out of my system anyway. I'll I'll go back to it, I'm sure. Anyway, another part of God's wisdom is that in what he did and what he created, he still, to this day, speaks to us through creation, even now. Now, the psalmist, Psalm 19, 1 through 4, I love this, it's one of my favorite psalms. It says this, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the works of his hand. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech, They use no words, no sound is heard from them, yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. God's creation speaks to his creation. That's God's wisdom. Paul in Romans chapter 1 says the same thing. Here's what he says. The wrath of God, ah, there it is, is being revealed from heaven against all godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, like we're talking about today, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. It's God's wisdom that he builds in these pointers to him. Even atheists who have no belief in God find solace in nature. That's God screaming to them, I exist I am here. I am there. I am, I am everywhere. Now, Dr. Seuss got canceled too, but we're going to do some Dr. Seuss up in the house today too, all right? I'm just going all over the place. This is so much fun. The Facebook feed has probably been cut off by now if anyone that's important in the company has seen this so far. Um, you'll have to watch it on our website. Anyway, so God in his wisdom points to himself through what he has made, even the things that don't actually speak. Now, we can get into trouble because that's where this idea of pantheism comes from. Well, God is the trees. God is the mountains. No, he's not. He made those things, went like this, went like this, and he's off doing something else now. He's not inside of nature, but he built nature to point to him, to speak about him on his behalf. We know this to be true even by our experience with nature. Even modern science, that's the whole point of exploration, which we'll talk about more in a minute, is there's got to be something out there. 
even if it's aliens, right? There's something else out there besides what we have right here. Maybe there's someone out there. Where did, how did all of this happen? Even, even science, apart from God, is looking for what God is yelling at us with his creation about every single day. God left these breadcrumbs, if you will, to lead us back to him. It does it all the time. And Paul says it's clear. He says it's clearly seen so that people are without excuse. So um, here's, my other, here's my planned rant for the moment, okay? Our modern culture has gotten away from what is obvious in the universe, what is obvious in nature, what is obvious in life. So we get away from order, progress, division, distinction, natural laws, and the issue, the problem with that is Culture thinks that it's progressing in going in that direction. But if we are going to go off a definition that creation shows God's wisdom, if our culture is going away from that, then in fact our culture is becoming foolish. We're a culture of fools. We're surrounded by a culture of really smart people who are really foolish because they are going away from the built-in, hardwired wisdom of God in order, in progression, in what is natural, in what is distinctive. That's God's wisdom. So God help us get back to God's wisdom. Here's the third thing that we see, and I think it's going to be pretty much, much calmer from here on out. Okay, guys? Rant over. Mate, we'll see. The third distinction or the third characteristic that we see of God in creation in Genesis 1 and 2 is God's goodness. So what's interesting is that as you read Genesis 1, every day God created something more and then the next day something more. At the end of each day, what did he do? Yeah, he declared it to be good. What I've done here is good. Now, I don't want to get too much into the morality thing here, although goodness is a moral judgment it's a moral statement it's part of that moral spectrum but god again is above that spectrum if he's above time and space he's above morality as well and that it's like a thing that he did he decided and the reason that he can do that the reason he can declare something to be good is because he is the ultimate standard of goodness he's the ultimate source of goodness he is altogether good in all that he is and all that he does Psalm 100, verses 4 and 5. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Go into his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. Why? For the Lord is good. His unfailing love continues forever, and his faithfulness continues to each generation. Psalm 106, verse 1. Praise the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord. Why? For he is good. His faithfulness is His faithful love endures forever. Psalm 34, verse 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good good. Oh, the joys of those who take refuge in him. So the thing I love about Psalm 34 there is it's not just saying God is good. It's saying, hey, you can experience God's goodness. As you draw closer to him, as you engage in relationship with him, you get to be in on the good stuff, the goodness of God. That's what you get to experience. So what, what really besides, in, like we looked at why creation shows God's wisdom, what besides God declaring creation to be good shows God's goodness? Well, things like beauty, like variety, color is an example of God's goodness. It's God's goodness that he made things in so many different shades of so many different colors. It's not just everything's one shade of everything or every, there's no it, that's God's goodness and we may not think of it in those terms but imagine if life was only in one color it would be 
a little bit different experience altogether. Coloring books would not exist, you know. It's like, what am I doing here? <laughs> There's nothing to do. Uh, so it's God's goodness that he made those in those types of ways. I think the idea of God hardwiring us to be curious is evidence of God's goodness. Like he, he built that into us that we want to know more. We want to go further. We want to fly higher. We want to go deeper in the depths of the ocean. We want to discover these things. God made us to be that way. He wants us to discover more of what he did, that he declared good so we can experience more of that goodness. Even one of the first words that little kids will ask is, why? 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 We're hardwired to discover, to explore, to learn and grow and develop. God made us that way. That is his goodness on display. And I think one of the key things, uh, being made in God's image God gave us also the ability to create. Now, I can't create something from nothing, but the most talented of artists, the most talented of, of any sort of art you can think of, music, woodworking, whatever, they can start with a very few things, and when they're done, it blows your mind. So you mean from like a couple colors of yarn, you made this incredible blanket, how did you do that? Like we have the ability to create. It's hardwired within us. That is evidence of God's goodness. He's like, hey, guys, this creation stuff's kind of fun. I'm going to make you guys able to do that. And that's what he does. It's God's goodness. This beauty, creativity, curiosity is God's goodness. Here's the, the fourth thing that we'll cover for a few minutes here. The fourth uh, characteristic of God that we see in, creation, in the creation story itself is relationship. And there are two relationships that I want to talk about for a couple minutes, and we'll see how they actually tie together. So first, obviously, we see God's relationship to us in creation. Genesis 1.26, then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. I'm not going to talk about that anymore. He created them. <laughs> then God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it, reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. So we're talking about God's relationship to us. Let me make this statement. You may or may not agree with, but it's okay to be wrong, okay? <laughs> I'm just going to give it a second. <laughs> so God did not create humans because he needed a relationship with them. But when God created humans, he did so knowing that we would need a relationship with him. And we'll talk about why that's true here in just a second. So if you're still like, I don't know about that, we're saving the best for last. But there are two unique aspects of human beings that we see here in Genesis in the these three verses about the creation of humans. And these two words, uh, these two distinctions are express and bless. Okay? The two unique aspects of humans are express and bless. So what's unique about humans is that we are able to express our worship to God, one half of that relationship. The other half of that relationship is the blessing from God that he gives only to our species, only to humans. He says, be fruitful and multiply, and he gives dominion over the earth to them, to us. 
he doesn't do that with anything else, right? There's a food chain here, and we're, guess, we're at, right at the top, guys. So we have that blessing and responsibility unique to us. We express our worship to God, and then he blesses us and gives us really a command to be fruitful, multiply, and have dominion. So there is that relationship that we see clearly with ourselves and with God. There's a second relationship, however, and that is between God and himself. We just read about it. See, well, and really, verse Genesis 1-2, it says the Spirit hovered over the deep, face of the deep, okay, at the very beginning of all this stuff. That's the Holy Spirit, right? The third person of the Trinity who is also eternal and self-existent, the same part of the Godhead as the Father is, Holy Spirit's there at creation kind of watching over stuff. He's sort of the general contractor, making sure everything's going. How's it, how's it going over here, guys? How's it going over there? He's like, there's not a lot of here right now. Let's get, let's get to work, you know? So the Holy Spirit's there. The same Holy Spirit who is all throughout Scripture, all throughout the Old Testament, New Testament, and still is in the world today at and before the beginning. And then Jesus also is there at creation. He's there at creation. Let's look at one more scripture, Colossians 1, verses 15 through 18. This is sort of an early Christian hymn that Paul writes here in this letter to the Colossian church. He says, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation, for through him God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things that we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who will rise from the dead, so he is first in everything." So in Genesis 1.26, when God says, let us make man in our image, he's talking to Jesus. We are made in the image of God. Jesus is God in flesh, right? So it all ties together. God in Genesis 1 is not talking to angels. They're created beings as well. They do not have the ability to make something from nothing. They don't give life to humans, okay? He's not talking to, a, there's this idea of a heavenly council. Well, who in the world is that? And where else are they in the Bible besides one obscure verse in Genesis 1:26? If there is a council, they weren't here because God made them, okay? So they're not here when there's nothing there because God is still making things. He's talking to Jesus. He's, Jesus was involved in the creative process, and as you really look at Jesus' life, it kind of explains a lot about how he's able to walk on water. Because he made it, he can override the same laws of physics that God the Father can. It explains why he can, you know, rise from the dead. Pretty important deal because he made the laws and he can override those laws. That's, that's the power of Jesus. He's there from the beginning. So we have God's relationship to us and really, most importantly, I think, his relationship to Jesus. One more thing as we begin to wrap it up, though, is we see also in Genesis 1 how these two relationships converge. From the very beginning, we see God's master plan at work, his master plan unfolding, the connection not just between us and God and God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit himself, but how these two collide. So we just read Colossians 1 through verse 18, verses 19 and 20 
talk about this, and then we're going to kind of go on a flurry to end here, okay? It says, For God in all His fullness was pleased to live in Christ, and through Him God reconciled everything to Himself. So He already said through Jesus everything that has been made was made, but now He's saying in verse 19, Through Him God reconciled everything to Himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. So here's the big picture story that Genesis 1 and 2 actually points to. And really, Genesis 3 really begins to obviously point to this. So we have a relationship with God. Sin in Genesis 3 fractured that relationship. We're down here. God's up here. Over here, God is also in relationship with himself, with his son. That's never broken. That is always eternally perfect. So the only way to get us back here is through this relationship over here. The only way to get us back to God is through the only perfect relationship that has always eternally existed. So what God was showing, even in Genesis 1, 2, and, and 3, we'll add that in there here, is this, the plan of salvation was already in the works. Okay? Somehow, in his foreknowledge, God knew this creation is going to rebel against me. Here's the cool thing. He made us anyway. I think that's pretty cool. That's grace, like to the nth degree. Uh, they're going to rebel against me. Most of them will never come, come back to that relationship that I long for them to have, that they need to have, but I'm going to do it anyway. And the ones that will, I'm going to make a way for that relationship to be fixed, for that gap to be lessened, for the bridge to be crossed. It's through Jesus. And so we see here that Jesus echoes and repeats the same qualities that God expressed in the beginning. Okay, we're going to go really quick here through a couple of verses, and we're going to try to make the, tie this bow on the end of this thing, okay? So first we, talk, we talked about God's power in creation. But Romans 1.16, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, also to the Greek. So the way to get us back to God was God's power was at creation, but it's used here to get us back to him. Then we talked about God's wisdom in creation, 1 Corinthians 1, and verse 30 as well. Since God in his wisdom saw to it that the world would never know him through human wisdom, he's used our foolish preaching, mine included, okay, to save those who believe. Verse 30, God has united you with Christ Jesus. For our benefit, God made him to be wisdom itself. Christ made us right with God. He made us pure and holy, and he freed us from sin. So God's wisdom is seen in creation at the very beginning. It's seen here again through salvation through Jesus. Then we looked at God's goodness as we close. God's goodness in creation. Romans 2.4, Paul says, Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? So God's goodness was seen in creation in the beginning, and it's seen here again in the story and the plan of salvation. The same characteristics that God showed at the beginning, his power, wisdom, and goodness are now seen in that relationship with Jesus. Through Jesus, God echoes his power, wisdom, and goodness, again, through that relationship. And in the everyday lives of the people in which God has a relationship through Jesus, he continues to show in your life, through your life, 
the same power, wisdom, and goodness that he showed at the very beginning. That's ultimate, like, meta-wisdom from God, that he would just draw everything together, all the T's crossed, all the I's dotted, showing his power, his wisdom, his goodness, and the importance of the relationship with him at the beginning and even now through the very end. That is the story of God seen even from the very beginning. 